For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's uh, I guess Tuesday night. I want to do the half Torah for this week, which half Torah passions. Mishpatim. Today's podcast is being sponsored by Ellie Katz and his brother. Uh, in uh, because they just uh, got up from, from uh, sitting Shiva, I believe. This is Zeph the father, who see I didn't know him. he was a big rabbi in uh, Flatbush and. In Barbark, I can't tell. It's many uh, Sarah Matal cats. Mordechai Avram cats. Who it says a long time Robin of Rafik Torvadas and Amarbid's Torv for a century. And his father before him was in Beis Haran in Flatbush. So I see from the pictures everything. He was a very Chashiva Hasidic uh, rabbi. Rav, Talmud Chacham, evidently, he sent me a contrast that he wrote. And he describes his father. You know, I'm a Baltimorean. It's funny. I live all the way out here. I don't know what's going on in Brooklyn and, and Flatbush. I really don't know. But it's interesting. He wrote me about his father and him were listening to some of the podcasts. And he said his father was a tremendous Talmud Chacham with a broad knowledge, not just of Torah, halacha, and of esoteric Jewish thought, but also science, history, and a sort of secular knowledge. And you wouldn't guess it by... Uh, <laughs> By looking at a picture of you know the a chassid rabbi can't judge a book by the cover, so I do pay um, tribute to the memory zecher nishmaso zecher tzadik lebracha, and uh, I appreciate the uh, the sponsorship from the family. Neshama should have an aliyah. Looks like he's the type that it does. Um, I want to say a few words about after in this week's parsha mishpatim, which is chosen because. Of the Abed Ivri business, and there's a very famous and controversial and perhaps painful episode later in Jewish history in the book of Yermiah, Jeremiah 34. It's fairly well known, and it's about when they did not send the Abed away. So that's why it's the Haftor of this week's Parsha. <clears throat> and this takes us to the time of Yermiah, and this takes us to the time at the very end, three years before the Korban, before Tishabov. And what had happened was. So he said many times, this is the time of Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire, and they were the rulers, the top dog in the Middle East. The kings of Judah very stupidly uh, went against them and joined the Egyptians, who were always using the king of Yehud as a cat's paw, and, you know, using them very cynically, very cynically. And it seemed true, I down until today, but that's a separate uh, discussion. And... Uh, as a result, the first king, Yehoiakim, was deposed and killed by Nebuchadnezzar, and then the son, who was a little kid, you know, was again deposed by Nebuchadnezzar and carried off to Babylon and put into a dungeon for decades. And then he put Sidkiyahu on the throne. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, the Gaijah king, he put Sidkiyahu, who was the son of Yoshio, an uncle of the previous king, on the throne, so he should be the Babylonian candidate. Remember the Manchurian candidate is the Babylonian candidate. And the idea was, don't rebel against Baba. Keep your nose clean. Listen, I'm giving you a good job, indoor work and no heavy lifting. You'll be the king of Yerushalayim or Yehuda. You have your own base on Migdash. 
You have your own religious freedom. You have to pay tribute and be machnia to Bavel, which is the superpower. No, so what's so bad about that? You think that you're going to be a superpower yourself, that tiny little speck called the king of Yehuda? Are you crazy? Of course not. So I'm giving you, you can keep the Malchus based of it. You can keep your holidays. You can keep everything. The only thing is be under us. As I've said many times, Israel is to a certain degree under America, both for protection as well as for domination. That's how it goes. Israel cannot defy the great powers. You get it? It happens to be that during the lifetime of the state of Israel, there are two great powers that oppose each other, America and Russia. Maybe now America and China, please. And so Israel had to choose one or the other, and they made a, a, a decent choice, in return for which you got to listen to America, you know, when America really matters, really, really counts. As they gave us. Uh, so this King Sikiyahu, that is when Yermiho the prophet is operating. Yermiho obviously has a full-time job trying to reverse the course of Jewish life in the kingdom of Yehuda, away from increasing idolatry and back towards Judaism. So he's like Sisyphus, constantly having to roll the, the ball up the hill and then it rolls down again. <coughs> because although there were some who interpreted, like Jeremiah did, the misfortunes of the kingdom of Judah during that time as reflecting God's anger at the idolatry that was in Judah. Many others didn't see it that way, and they pushed for keeping up the Avodah Zara. So Mio has his hands full trying to push the anti-Avodah Zara agenda and the Atayag Mitzvah's agenda, which was hard. And the last king, Tzikiyahu, at least was not as bad by a million miles as his predecessors. For that, Yehoiakim, and you, who is a sick dog. Um, just look up the Gemara Sanhedrin. And Menashe and Omon and Ochaz and all these guys, <clears throat> they were terrible. Sidkio, as we would say today, he wasn't anti from He was just weak. You understand? And perhaps the situation was that way because... The big problem at that time, as always in Jewish history, is the richy riches were only interested in themselves and uh, in their personal interests. And they'll take the whole country down because the nobles in every land have often done that. They've taken the country down in pursuit of their own narrow interests. Take Poland, for example, and the partitions of Poland. You know, it, it's not uncommon at all. <coughs> Excuse me. And... <coughs> <coughs> I guess I'm allergic to my own podcast. So, um, you have this tense situation, and the prophet Jeremiah is always calling upon Tzitkiel in half the book to be a man and stand up for the front positions and push forward and oppose the bad nobles. But I don't know, Tzitkiel doesn't do that. He's a wishy-washy. You know, like that. He should be loyal to Bavel. They put him in. But the nobles are pushing they should hook up with Egypt. Aye, Jeremiah says, don't do that. And past experience with Yehoiakim, Yehoiakim says, don't do that. Uh, the Egyptians will leave you in the lurch and Bubba will come and kill everybody. Easier said than done. Um, and so in the long run, uh, Tidkiyohu, by the way, this is in the Seder Olam, if you look. Tidkiyohu 
sides with Egypt, which is really stupid beyond stupid. I'll say it again, the Babylonians put them in. Uh, and of course the Egyptians screwed them, left them in the lurch, and Bubble came and wiped everybody out as we know. Metishabov, right? They wiped everything out. So he wasn't bad, but he was weak. To tell you the truth, in a leadership position, sometimes being weak is worse than being bad. And that's what happened with him. And we have what is unfortunately <coughs> an exquisite example of that in the Haftorah today because, I'll say it again, the king was not a bad guy. And if you know, the nobles were trying to kill Yermio, the prophet, and the king, in order to save him, put him in jail to as a protection of Yermio against the nobles of Judah. That's how bad it was. Why didn't he say to heck with them and arrest and kill the nobles who were trying to kill a prophet of God? That's what Hashem wouldn't want me to do. He couldn't do that. He couldn't do it. And so, he's listening to your meal, but he's also listening to the other side. That's why I'm being by, by weak. He's like a weather vane. Whoever talks to him last, that's the way he goes. And this ultimately led to disastrous results. Now, the most vivid example of this is in chapter 34 in today's Torah, where, obviously, one of the sins that was big at that time, wasn't simply a Zarah. Of course, that was very big also. But another one of the sins, maybe even worse, that was flourishing in the kingdom of Israel, kingdom of Judah, had to do with what I always call the uh, social injustice, or the unbridled capitalism, in which the Torah's uh, laws concerning economics and capitalism, which at least provide some protection for the poorer classes against the rich were ignored because the rich always were able to use their money to worm their way into positions of power and the judiciary and things like that. And so the little guy gets screwed along the way. You will perhaps recall the famous Haftorah or at least a paragraph by the prophet Omos Amos, who was about 100 years earlier, where he says, Al-Shloshi Peshe Yisrael, Abar Al-Mechron but only by Vornalayim. The judge was so corrupt, they would throw the case in favor of the rich guy, and the bribe would simply be a pair of shoes. You know, a pair of sneakers. <laughs> I, they're $400 shoes? Fine, let it be. $500 shoes shows you I'm a Baltimorean. The New Yorkers listeners will say, $400's a bargain, I paid it 900 you know. Um, but for a pair of shoes, they'll sell out a guy. So the judges were on the take, and they were corrupt, and God really doesn't like that. And in such an environment, it's all money, money, money. And if it's all money, 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 then those laws in the Torah that put some kind of limitations on the money, money, money will be ignored. <clears throat> so, for example, as you and I know, the Torah says uh, the land has to go back in Yovel. You think they did that? Right? I bought up a bunch of land because I'm a real estate shark. And I got a goon squad to back me up and I own judges the way the mafia owns judges. You really think I'm going to give it back in Yovel? Get real. The Torah says you can't take away a person's in this project, can't take away his last cloak. You don't think they did it anyway? You can look at all the laws that you have in Mishpatim and other places in the Torah. But that doesn't mean they did it. As a matter of fact, the other way around. You understand? It's the other way around. They violated, 
you know, all these laws which are economic laws, so ultimately they're the Benon Lechavero in the deepest sense of the word. It's not Benon Lechavero that I like you, Hafstriacha Kamocha, from a pocketbook, okay, where it counts. And so poor families were starving and things like this, and the rich were ruthless, and people were reduced to slavery because they couldn't pay. Why can't you pay your debts? Well, if I'm charging 500% interest, compounded semi-daily, you know, something like that. Because why, why Why? should I? I, the Torah says, Ribbis, what, you think they really practice that? You get my point? From the Nova, you see, you don't look in the Chumash to find out what people actually did. You look at the Chumash to find out what they should have done. One second. That was my doctor. You think that they, what do you call it? That they practice these things? Anything that hurt the pocketbook, they're going to, you know, just not listen to or get around or something like that. So, it was a real bummer. Now, one of the classic cases, as I said before, I'm not supposed to charge too much interest. Matter of fact, you're not allowed to charge a Jew any interest. Um, without assuming that they did shtick like we do now with the heteriskas and all the rest of it, by the time the achronim get finished with it, you vitiated the heter the whole Isser of Ribbis. But I'm not going to go into that. You know, the Truman's edition and everything. <laughs> I'm not going to go into that. They just, plain and simple, said I can charge whatever interest I want, knowing that this will bankrupt you because who can pay such a high interest? And once you're bankrupt, I, I can take you as a slave and your family and your property and all that kind of stuff. So if you want to know what the kingdom of Yehuda looked like in the time of Tzikio and, and, and Yermio, you know, hundreds and thousands of people's houses and farms were gone from them and were in the hands of the rich nobles who were like the real estate sharks. And the people themselves were reduced by poverty being slaves, evidivries. And by the way, I know what the Gemara says is evidivery, that really he's an Odon, he's supposed to give him good food, and blah, blah, blah. You think they did that? Were you nuts? You see, they mistreated people terribly. This went on later in Jewish history as well, I'm sorry to say. And one of the basic uh, protections against this is the Yisar Ribbis. Another basic protection, like I mentioned in the Parsha yesterday, was the limited scope of the Evidivri that after six years you got to let him go. Even if he can't pay up all he, he owes you. What, you think they really did that? If I lend you the money or something like that, especially if I did an underhanded way, you think I'm actually let, let you escape my grasp? Are you crazy? That's not how it went. And so you had a ton of Jews. For all I know, maybe in the majority. We don't know. And they were turned into evidivries. And they didn't let them go after six years. Matter of fact, they probably ran bills up so much with the money that they uh, lent them in a, in a clever, sneaky way that it probably was impossible for them ever to pay it off. So basically, I have a life... Evid. Even though the Torah says explicitly, Avodayim, Lavonim, Lavonim, you're not supposed to have a life Evid for a Jew. Even the Yovel, even the nearest he gets out of Yovel. But they didn't do it. You understand? And so, the country is in misfortunes. It's re reeking with social injustice. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah is saying, you're all going to get screwed. All, God's going to wipe everybody out. And somehow or other, this got to the king. Maybe he gave a speech during Parshish I don't know. And he said, all these misfortunes are causing mistreating the, the Jews. Okay? Yeah, I have to turn this off for a second. <clears throat>
<clears throat> yeah, sorry about that. I'm <laughs> doing the podcast interrupted by doctor's visits and cardiologists. Um, what was I talking about? The If you went in Yehud at that time, you saw the misfortunes, and you'll see why are they happening. And here's the prophet Yermio saying, it's because you have a bunch of slaves that you're supposed to let go. Now, here's the thing. In the end, I think you know this. It's not the first time you've seen this off Torah. They let them go, and then they change their mind and take them back. They make a bris, an old-fashioned vow, you know, chop the animal in half, like I'm a vina bris, man, I'm but they violate it. So in the beginning, they let everybody go. Achrei, how's he called over here? Achrei, kroz ha-melchzik, yo, bris, eskola mashiv yishoyim, likro lehem, dror, l'shalach, ishes, avdov, ishes, yavchos, every chavshem, because you're not allowed to have a long-term avid every, and um every, and so forth. Shech, you know, evriah. And then, they changed their mind. Vayeshiv v'achrechem vayeshiv v'zavon ha-shvachos ha-shishot v'yachbish l'avon ha-shvachos. They everybody, uh, you know, took back the slaves. Now, what this means, at least as I understand it, is, first of all, they were wicked. But second of all, that's true. But second of all, it's addictive. Slavery is addictive. Um, when you get used to a lifestyle in which others are doing the work for you, what are you going to do? You want to start mopping the floor? You get what I'm saying? You're not going to do it. Now, you can, but the people who are the aristocrats, the richy riches, that's not the lifestyle to which they're accustomed. And you get dependent on labor-saving devices, namely slaves, in the old days. And you can't do it with them. I, the Torah says, you got to do it. Tough luck. You know, I don't, the Torah is one thing, and then what I do is something else. This has always been the problem throughout history when it comes to emancipation and things like this. Because the upper class is the one who have the slaves. How are you going to manage without the slaves? Now, that is a problem which has been dealt with by statesmen and others throughout history. And there are various attempts, you know, to uh, pay out the people who had the slaves. You know, sometimes that works. And other formula. But think, for example, about American history. The South didn't want to give up the slaves. Did they mistreat them? Definitely. Was it outrageous? Definitely. Could they manage without the slaves? They couldn't. So you know and I know, after the Civil War, when they uh, let the slaves go, the Imamish did the same thing in this parish. I'm talking about the Reconstruction here in American history. When they took the slaves back, not as formal slaves, but as sharecroppers and junk like this. In other words, the whites regained mastery over the blacks, I beg your pardon, uh, through underhanded means. And that's when the KKK started and things like that. And by the time it's over, in the South... They kind of like went back to square one. Not exactly, you know, no, they weren't mamish slaves that they owned them and, they, you know, could do whatever they wanted them, like an Uncle Tom's cabin. Not exactly, but it wasn't what Abraham Lincoln had in mind either, that all the slaves will be free and now they'll be part of America and they'll be citizens like everybody else, equality and so, and so forth and so on. Uh, because they were hooked on the slavery. You know, Robert E. Lee can't manage by himself, so, so to speak. So that's what happened with the um, Sarim, the richy riches of Judah, and therefore they undid the uh, sending of the slaves. And of course, what Yermio is saying in the parsha today is, you do this and you're really toast. Okay, uh, since you did this, so uh, since you wouldn't let them go, so since you wouldn't let them go free, 
I, God, proclaim freedom for the sword to come and do whatever it wants. Now, is he going to suffer an invasion? And let's put it this way. I, Hashem, am going to arrange matters that you're not going to have slaves anymore. Maybe it'll take a world war or a churban based on Migdash and a complete destruction of Yerushalayim and the Malchus Yehuda and the exile to uh, Bavil and all the rest of it. But you want to know something? You're not going to have any slaves anymore. And I hate to say this, uh, that the war of Tishabov, which obviously took a lot of Jewish casualties, obviously, <coughs> from the starvation, from the cherub and all the rest of it, but when it was over, like the American Civil War, Lahavdol, when it was over, there was no more slavery in, in, in Israel and Judah, simply because Jews have been pretty much wiped out or busted. And when the people come to Bavel, they're free. Now, they're slaves in Nebuchadnezzar, no, but I mean, they're not uh, they're slaves to all the Jews. You get what I'm saying? You know, they're, they're not slaves to all the Jews. Um, the Jews will settle in Bavel, and after a while, they'll really settle in Bavel, and then some will make money and some won't make money, and they will have slaves, because that's what you did in the old days when you have money. But it doesn't seem, as far as I can tell, that they're going to have Jewish slaves. I mean, Bob, they got Geisha slaves. So the emancipation of the wrongfully held Hebrew slaves was going to take place willy-nilly. And what Yermio is basically saying, look, we can do it the easy way, we can do it the hard way. Because I'm telling you, within a short while, you're not going to have any Avadim. Of course, they didn't listen to him. He said, he called the El El Harash, whatever the language is over there. El Acherev, El Adever, El The sword, pestilence, and starvation. So you know and I know that mass death was about to hit Judah. And when it's over, there'll be no more slaves, no more Hebrew slaves. Okay? And uh, that's just remarkable. Now I have to watch what I'm saying because if you know the book of Nehemiah, which takes place 70, 80 years later when the Jews come back, they have this same shtick again where, where the Richie Rich is in the time of Nehemiah were using their, their controls, economic uh, you know opportunities, and to abuse their privilege and, and hold Hebrews as slaves and things like that. And Nehemiah fought them and busted them, at least he said for a while, but you get the idea that, you know, let's again, you're always pushing the, the thing up, the, 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 the ball up the hill, and then it rolls down again. That is the story of Jewish life. Um, so we didn't do too well when we had our own state, so to speak. And I'm talking about inter-Jewishly. You know, we didn't treat each other so great. Um, and that, and of course, that's very problematic. So when you want to know Alma of the Haaretz, there are, of course, many reasons. But when it says Al-Azu is Torah C, doesn't mean that they didn't do Alva Sabotim, you know? They didn't do Dafyomi. Azu is Torah C, doesn't mean they abandoned learning. It means they abandoned the Torah, meaning the rules of the Torah, which include such fundamental principles of, <coughs> of social justice as the six-year limitation on Hebrew slaves. <coughs> Excuse me. That's not the only thing Uzzah's Torah means, but you can be darn sure that was a major part of it. Okay? Now, nowadays, they'll say in a schmooze, you know, they stopped learning and they didn't do Chaim uh, Brisker and so forth. It means, in the context, they didn't follow the rules of the Torah. Which rules did they not follow? The ones that hurt the pocketbook. The ones that hurt the lifestyle. Aye, it means that other Jews will suffer. Heck with them. So you mean to oh, the heck with them, the heck with you. To be a caller, a drawer, el acherev, el arov, fiel hadever, 
Okay? And he says that all you richy riches, sorry Yehuda, sorry Yerushalayim, and all these people, the richy riches will be massacred, and their corpses will be for the birds. That's what it says in the Pesach. Okay? And you, the king, because you're so weak, so, you know, you'll be destroyed by the king of Bavel. And Jerusalem will be laid waste. So basically, Hashem said like this. You can do it the easy way, you can do it the hard way. The easy way is you follow the Torah and let everybody go. Let the slaves go. And don't worry, if Hashem wants to, He'll keep you rich, guys. He'll find some other way for you to maintain your lifestyle. You'll get good investments or something like that. Or maybe you'll have a war and conquer others. I don't know. There are other ways. But if you don't do it, then we'll play hardball. I'm going to make it that Jerusalem is completely wiped out. There'll be no inhabitants whatsoever, and therefore there'll be no slavery. Because there are no inhabitants whatsoever, there'll be, sla- there'll be no slavery. It's <clears throat> very interesting that when the, and you know this, when the Chorban does come, uh, who's left after the Babylonians kill and destroy everything? The poor, the Karmim and the Yagum. That's the story of Gedalia. Uh, what does that mean? This is disgusting. Nebuchadnezzar freed them. What do I mean when I say Nebuchadnezzar freed them? They're the vine dressers and the you know the the the, the people who work the plow, whatever they were. They were the lower class. Nebuchadnezzar wiped out their masters, and by wiping out their masters, he basically was was creating a new class. You understand? Now, let's say, for example, I was a, a a vine dresser. I worked on the vines and the vineyards. For some richy rich guy, but now the richy rich guy is totally destroyed, as the Haftorah says today, and I'm left taking care of the vineyard. So who does the vineyard belong to? Well, by default, it belongs to me. So thank you very much, Nebuchadnezzar, that you removed the ownership of the land, the yards, and the the the, the orchards and all the rest of it, and gave it to the poor, who formerly were in hock and were slaves to the rich. Um, of course, we know. That the story of, of, of um, what's his name, Gedalia, ended tragically. But the idea was what I just said that take those who've been victimized by the rich and make them now the landowners in Judah in small plots, and they will then become invested in the Babylonian status quo and will support the king above all against all comers because their position depends on that. It's a classic pol- policy, you know, decision that conquerors do. I don't blame them. And Nebuchadnezzar was going to implement it. What's interesting is. Hashem tells Yermio to tell the people, uh, take this deal. You know, because Yermio supported Gedalia. So the king is gone, the nobles are gone, everybody else is dead, all the rest of it. The king of Bevel is allowing the poor people who had been enslaved and all the rest of it um, now to be, first of all, free, and second of all, the landowners themselves. Take the deal. Take the deal. So it's it's a different type of Yovel. Instead of reset button voluntarily, it's a reset button as a, as a result of a churban, uh, which didn't happen. So it's a very pregnant kind of haftorah, and it provo- uh, it's a very thought-provoking uh, and, of course, disturbing. But it does, you know, call into relief the idea that the Torah makes a lot of demands on the wealthy, and perhaps we cannot expect all of them to listen to all these rules, but if you don't listen to the rules, then you go down. Um, anyway, that's what I want to say about the Haftorah. Once again, I want to thank <coughs> Ellie Cassidy has brothers for sponsoring this. Father's Neshama Shavon Aliyah. That I wish you all 
a uh, very good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.